Our community stories today features a meteorologist and a storm chaser. And we're pleased to have in the studio, Josh Eccles. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Karen. Excited to be here talking about some weather. Yeah, well, you know, you're always, uh, I assume that a weather guy is always kind of a weather geek. If you can talk weather anytime, I'm sure it's a, a delight. Oh, it is. It's awesome. I love talking, even just socializing with people outside. That's like your your well, go-to conversation starter, right, is yeah. weather. How's the weather today? Absolutely. Now, Josh, you're, of course, a lot of people may recognize you from KEYC. You've been a meteorologist there for a number of years. Yeah, three years now. Okay. And talk about how you got to that path. How did Josh Eccles become a meteorologist? Uh, because we were chatting beforehand, and I said, well, you must have loved storms as a little kid, and you said no. No, I actually, growing up, I was terrified of thunderstorms, and the only way to kind of calm me down is what my parents did, is whenever there was severe weather in the state or in the area, they sat me down in front of the TV when, well, while the TV broadcast meteorologists were talking, and they basically told me to update them what's going on what are they saying where are the current warnings what county it is is it in because when i was younger i didn't understand like a county is miles across like it can take you oh. an hour to get across one county or two hours you're like it's here in my yeah, backyard yeah i thought it was here it's in minnesota <laughs> it's going to be arriving at my backyard so i need to get to the basement now so that that's where it started was the fear and your parents literally were having you do weather reports as a kid. As a kid, they had me right away. What's going on? What's happening? Are, what, what is the storm doing now? Are there any tornado warnings? You know, that they were already had me as a kid kind of reporting the weather, talking about severe weather, too, right off it the get-go. sounds like they were trying to distract you from being afraid. I think that's exactly what their, their goal was. But um, they kind of learned quickly, though, that I just still was kind of terrified. Mm -hmm. But when I got older, it was probably once I got into seventh grade. So I was still terrified up to like sixth sure. grade, fear of that. But by seventh grade, that's when my interest turned. And I was curious more of like, what's causing the weather? How does this happen? Why is it happening? And uh, from there, it just kind of didn't really... I would say eighth, ninth grade, just kind of that same, like, oh, this is interesting, but never really dove into it. It wasn't really until I got my driver's license where I was like, I want to go look at this storm and see what happens. <laughs> so my mom gave me the keys to go get milk. I didn't come back for a few hours oh, later because I was out looking at the storms. Now, those weren't severe weather. They were just general thunderstorms with some beautiful cumulus clouds, but... Uh, that's that was kind of like my first chase. So then when you were in high school, did you take any classes or decide I want to go to college for weather or did you have some other thing in mind and just sort of develop from there? Uh, you know, in high school, I was interested in weather. I originally was going to go to St. Cloud State for weather and because um, I was actually up there playing some football as well. Oh. But then I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did a few years off training. I did some coaching of hockey and football uh, locally and things like that. And then I decided to go back. And that's when I went to the University of North Dakota, was actually getting my degree a few years later. And then ever since then, it's all been about weather. Now, North Dakota, is that known for its weather? I guess I'm not familiar with the, the best weather schools. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a couple. One, the known one in uh, Minnesota is St. Cloud. And then you have Madison University. Iowa also has, Iowa State also has meteorology. UND, I really like UND because they have a very big aviation program and aviation kind of coincides with weather a lot. So for some reason that just drove me to go up there. Um, 
and I'm really glad it's a really good community of meteorologists and uh, teachers and professors up there that really uh, have a good diverse background on on the aviation side of meteorology, but also the meteorology side. So, so is aviation something you're interested in pursuing as well? Uh, not really. I, I mean, I've did a cloud seeding project. It was an internship out in Bowman, North Dakota. Cloud seeding. Now, isn't that to make it rain? Yes, it is to make it. Would ra- you please do that here? <laughs> yeah, I. You know, we if we could get some high, some planes higher in elevation, we might be able to get some of those clouds to seed a little bit out there. But uh, overall, uh, for that, we did hail suppression for oh. farmers during severe weather and I actually got a few flying hours in because the pilots that were up there doing the seating were actually uh, able to train and um, give you hours and basically train pilots as well so I got to fly a little bit because the farmers allowed us to take some of their planes up for free as well. So Very nice now so you talk about cloud seating to suppress hail I always thought it was just to make it rain so what how does that work so that is they add kind of just like an iodine into the atmosphere and what it does is it makes the raindrops larger and when you have larger raindrops the updrafts within a thunderstorm cannot support the development of hail so then it falls down as rain and uh, so that was something that we did for the farmers out there it was a really exciting project obviously all I had to forecast while I was out there was for severe weather How successful is rain seeding? I mean, is it something that we could get Jeff Bezos, maybe since he likes to go fly really high, maybe we could get him to donate some money and and get the rain here? Um, It (laughs) it can be very successful. They use it even out in the mountains for, you know, uh, snow for resorts will pay to do that too. They'll go out and uh, seed some of the clouds to produce snow. you just have to have the right type of clouds for it to happen. Oh, so it's really specific. Yeah, it's really specific. You can't just go out on like a, a sunny day and be like, oh, oh hey, hey. <laughs> let's make a cloud. Let's make a cloud. Let's make it rain. All right. Now I want to uh, turn to your, your storm chasing, which is something you've been doing since when? Well, since you first went to get milk one day and you <laughs> started looking at storms, obviously. Yeah. In high school. And then for when after that, it was just kind of, I would do maybe like one or two local chases because I didn't really know what I was doing back then. What does that mean, a local chase? I mean, I wouldn't even know where to search for a local chase. Do I go <laughs> like in the, the, you know, yellow want ads and go, or whatever? And I go, hey, I'm going to go look for a chase. So yeah, is it so just, you know, guys that you know people? Well, local chase is when I think of just like a around your community so if you were in the Mankato area that's kind of what I would consider like a local chase and you do this on your own and I do this on my own and it it would be just hey uh, let's see what what's happening uh, locally with these storms that are being forecasted and I'd go out and kind of check them out it wasn't until I was up at the University of North Dakota where I got actual like more understanding understand more about how thunderstorms form more about severe weather, talking with other people that have gone storm chasing, gone storm chasing with others um, that I felt comfortable to do. You know, let's go to somewhere where more often tornadoes occur, like Oklahoma, Texas, and things like that. So what was your first intentional storm chase where you knew you were going to look for a tornado and this could potentially kill you? (laughs) Yeah, um, well, I actually went on, we actually had a class at the University of North Dakota. It was their second year that I went with them and we went on, basically it was like uh, our school's version of a tour. It was was considered an upper level graduate class, so that was always nice too. Um, Three credits and we spent two weeks driving around storm chasing. Uh, We were in Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, Colorado, um, and Iowa, and 
North Dakota, South Dakota. So we drove all over basically to find these storms. And that was my first chance to chase. And our first day we saw a nice uh, rotating wall cloud in Kansas, but it wasn't until we hit Canadian, Texas. Yes, there's a town called Canadian, oh. Texas, uh, that we saw a nice EF3 stovepipe stationary tornado. And that was like my first real experience. What was that like, Josh? I mean, were you sitting there thinking how cool or how horror or terrified maybe you were? Well, I felt comfortable because of the people that I was chasing with. We were the professor. They we knew had, what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. So I felt comfortable. I was really excited. I didn't, I, I tried to take a video. It was my first time trying to take a video and the video came out extremely shaky oh. <laughs> just because I was like so excited. Adrenaline. Yeah, the adrenaline was kicking and I was... Yeah, I was just kind of floored at what I was watching. And then we uh, just got to watch this thing sit there for a really long time, spin off in the distance. And the nice thing about that one, it was mainly stayed out in an open area, didn't do too much damage. So that's, as a storm chaser, what you always want to see when you're watching a storm. Well, I mean, there is there are storm chasing shows. That's what they focus on. And you see these horrible things where they're actually taken up houses and, and yeah. animals and things like that and of course I'm sure you've seen the movie Twister is the twist you've seen that movie yes Twister? M- multiple times it's All one right, of my so favorites l- let me, I know it's my, my son's too what is the accuracy of that I mean are you literally finding cows flying like that because uh, I mean I was wondering how what a portrayal of that is you know realistically or is that really you know not a good portrayal if you if you were talking about storm chasing and you were watching that movie and you and you went storm chasing and you expected every day <laughs> in every couple minutes you're seeing a tornado that's not the case you're going to be spending a lot of time driving and having downtime and, rather than chasing you'll probably spend 8 hours of the day sitting around kind of looking at weather looking at stuff and you maybe only chase for an hour at, at at best. If some days you can get out and you can chase, if storms fire early, you can chase a good six hours. But on a that's on a good day. Right. So the portrayal of the movie on the aspect of like storm chasing, you're going to see something all the time, isn't the case because when you're looking at thunderstorms that produce tornadoes, they're supercells. And of all supercells that form, only thirty percent of them are going to be producing a tornado. But is a cow going to fly around like they show or that big semi I mean, in there like that? I mean, I mean, if <laughs> if uh, uh, if if you've seen some of the videos go out there on YouTube, there are videos of tornadoes picking up and throwing okay. uh, railroad cars and things like that. So there's a video out there where a tornado in Oklahoma hit a pig barn, threw some pigs around. So, it, I mean, it's possible, but. Well, the part that seemed unrealistic to me is when the tornado is going through and they're holding on that well. Yeah. And they're, and they're like sticking like 90 degrees out and they're not being blown away. I'm like, wow, how do they do that? <laughs> that is unrealistic for sure because, uh, especially with a tornado like that, uh, it's not the wind, as they always tell you, say that's going to cause damage or kill you. It's it's the debris that's Stuff associated. Yeah, that's what's going to be the worst part about it. So how many tornadoes have you actually encountered in your storm chasing days you know i think i'm up to around 20 tornadoes and let's talk about what was the biggest one uh the biggest one still is the one in uh, canadian texas that ef3 tornado um uh the most destructive one i would have to say is in canton texas 
Uh, that was just a, a EF2 tornado that went right through Canton, downtown Canton. Um, and then, uh, honestly, I don't know which one is my favorite because every storm chase is different, and I'm hoping that I'll continue to be out chasing, and uh, so I'll see what still storms have to have for me. Josh, what inspires you to, to go storm chasing? I mean, I know you know a lot about meteorology, so obviously that's an interest, but storm chasing seems rather dangerous, and I'm sure your mom is probably thinking like, oh, Josh. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, for me, it's kind of, as a meteorologist, I find it as a way of, you know, uh, honing in on my forecasting skills because you have to forecast the area, you have to pick an area, and you have your general target area of where you're going to, try to locate the tornadoes so um i really enjoy just going out and kind of enhancing my skills in a sense uh but i also really enjoy just the uh, the beauty that is associated with these thunderstorms because it's something that is so you know it's so destructive it's but yet it has just this amazing beauty associated with it and uh there's I'm out there capturing photos, videos, and stuff like that. And they're now using and utilizing footage from storm chasers to help uh, run programs to uh, be able to program a tornado in development. There's actually... To better understand warning, earlier warnings and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so there's, a, there's research right now and... And they've actually uh, already did it at a University of Wisconsin-Madison where uh, a professor out there programmed a uh, supercell tornadic and he, you can see everything down to the little vorticity tubes within it. So um, I'm just out there trying to, uh, my first goal is to inform the National Air Service of what's going on at the ground, give them up-to-date information. Um, I can tr talk directly to them, phone it in, or I have uh, uh, something where I can chat directly with them on my computer. And then after that is to capture any footage that is um, usable so that not only the National Air Service can use in the future, but just to get that information out to even the broadcast side so they know what's happening at the ground so they can get those warnings out. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of that joy of myself of being out there and seeing something of that nature well the clouds are amazing i mean yes. it's just you just you're just in awe because how do they even do that sometimes i have a listener who um, texted me something i'm going to share with you yep we had a destructive tornado in albert lee in 1967 although our neighborhood wasn't affected i was terrified of storm warnings also for a number of years and would go to the basement and watch tv or radio updates eventually i understood weather systems too and today am a wannabe storm chaser well let's talk about that because i think probably a lot of people listening today might be wannabe storm chasers because it's exciting there's it adrenaline is. talk about the importance of maybe safety things and knowing what you're doing because Anybody now, like you mentioned, can take a, a phone camera, cell, cell camera, take photos and get great photos and things. Talk a little bit about the concerns you might have with anybody just wanting to be a storm chaser. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're interested in being a storm chaser, what I would suggest is first every spring, the National Weather Service, Twin Cities, Des Moines, Iowa, La Crosse, Sioux Falls, those are all kind of the local National Weather Service office 
across the area, they will offer uh, Skywarn classes. Yeah, I've gone to one of those. Yeah, right? yeah. Go ahead. I would sign up for one of those. Take one of those Skywarn classes because that's going to actually be someone from the National Weather Service presenting and giving you an understanding of what you need to be looking for. Um, and then if you really want to dive into getting out and storm chasing, uh, it's kind of... I think it's kind of a tougher network, but if you know someone or can find someone that does go storm chasing, reach out to them and I would buddy up with someone and go out and do it um, just so you can get a better idea of what you're looking at. Uh, um, and for the safety side, it, you, you definitely don't want to just go out and and try to guess like I did when I was younger, probably not the smartest idea, especially if it's going to be a significant event. If you know it's just general thunderstorms, start there, go out, get an idea of what's happening, then kind of gradually go up from there and uh, uh, what you're chasing. Keep it local. Uh, if you can, if you have the ability to have a radar type thing on your phone, um, that has like a GPS location so you know where you're at based on the storm. Um, that's a good way, good thing to have. Uh, I use radar scope on my phone and then on my laptop I use a program that's called GR um, level 2 or level 3 data that um, I also have a GPS chip in my car that's set up. Uh, it's called a puck. Um, that's some stuff that you would want to generally have if you want to get started. Uh, but again, going to the Skywarn classes and then maybe reaching out to other storm chasers in, in a local area, maybe looking on Facebook to see if there's any uh, uh, chasers out there. Um, I'm always free. You can always reach out to me. I'll tell you that, folks. If you're, you're interested in going storm chasing, you can send me a message on my Facebook page or something, and uh, I can always help guide you in any direction I can. Well, I don't, uh, won't be surprised if you get a, a call <laughs> from Mike and Albert Lee. He just says, I have done Skywarn training too. And but and now, so people are trained as Skywarn spotters. How reliable do you think some of the volunteers are? Because I, I got the training, yet I still don't feel comfortable in sometimes what I see in knowing exactly if I should report something. So I'm just wondering when you hear that, oh, a, you know, a thunderstorm or a tornado cell has been spotted near wherever and how often, if it's just by some just average Joe who maybe had the warning, how often can you trust that really? Well, um, I mean, it's kind of like you, it's kind of like that saying, like with the police, you know, they say you see something, say something. It's better to have some reports on what someone is seeing. And the best report right now, since we have social media, is sending out a picture. You can post a picture to Facebook, to the National Weather Service. You can post a picture to KUIC.com. Um, on Twitter, the same thing, and, and actually send that picture in. And someone that has that training or has that more of that training can verify what is happening. Uh, most of the people that uh, do reports for the from the Skywarn, are, are pretty good. They know what they're looking at because of the clouds. Um, I think one of the most common clouds that gets mixed up are shelf clouds and wall clouds. Yeah. What is the difference? So is there a obvious thing you could tell the difference? Um, well, most of the time, if you're talking about a wall cloud, it's going to be on the back side of a storm. Okay. Whereas if you're looking at a storm and it's moving towards you and on the front edge, a shelf cloud and a shelf cloud is going to expand quite a ways across, whereas a wall cloud is going to be a much smaller, um, uh, 
a diameter cross compared to like a shelf cloud. So if you're looking for a wall cloud, that's usually also going to be rotating because it's going to be located under what we refer to as the mesocyclone, which is the rotating updraft part of the storm. Um, so that's a common cloud that does get mixed up. I see a lot of times we get pictures associated okay. with a wall cloud and I'm like, that's uh, a shelf cloud. Oh, okay. And uh, it's tough too, because a supercell can also produce a shelf cloud and that's usually on the forward flanking part of the storm. So which one am I worried about, the, the, the shelf cloud or the wall cloud? The wall cloud is where you're going to most likely see where the tornado is going to be forming. Okay. All right, so the, the, the backside. So let's say you're a, a storm chaser. What do you look for when before you go out and storm chase? Is it like, oh, but it's predicted to rain today? I mean, would that be enough? Or what is it, Josh, that you would say, ah, good day to go storm chasing? Well, that, that's a really loaded question. Uh, okay. But <laughs> I'll tell you the, the general terms that we're looking for, and, and it's um, the acronym SLIM. Shear, lift, instability, and moisture. Okay. So shear is basically uh, your change in wind speeds with height and or directional shear, so your change in wind direction with height. And one of the best things for tornado producing storms is having both wind shear and directional wind shear. So um, that's one of the that's one of the key components for having rotating updrafts and long-lived storms and long-lived producing supercells. And then moisture is kind of a higher dew point, looking at some type of dew point at least above 60 degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, got to do my acronym lift is going to be your boundaries uh so like a warm front a cold front um there's dry lines that we look for uh you can have cold outflow from storms that have fired in the morning that can be associated with a boundary uh you can have inverted troughs there's different types of boundaries that could fire off stuff so i hit sheer lift instability um, instability is going to be your what we refer to as your cape value that's convective available potential energy and that's just going to be something that's will support very strong updrafts so if you have we look for all those type of dynamics that are associated with a system that's going to be moving in for the potential of producing tornadoes and again the most common one that you're looking for for the better chance of seeing rotating updrafts is going to be your shear component now, I'm not complaining about this, but it's been a while since we really had a lot of tornadoes around this immediate area. I mean, I feel like there used to be more. Is there any prediction about where they're going to happen and why we haven't seen any in a while? Like I said, I'm not complaining about it, but right. is there, are there trends or is it just a matter of just it's, luck? Or? You know, it, it kind of is the simple setup of the weather pattern. We've been stuck. Uh, we are in June. If you remember, we had that really warm spell, oh, and when you when dry. you yeah, when you have you have that type of of weather pattern setting up, it's what we refer to as a ridge, or as in storm chasing terms, if we're trying to go out and storm chase, we call it a death ridge because oh, okay. nothing nothing's gonna form yeah. underneath a ridge unless you're kind of maybe on what we refer to the downsloping side, which is the eastern half of the side of the ridge. Um, so we had that we, if you have a death ridge you're not going to get anything and that's kind of what we've been dealing with june is usually the most active month for yeah. tornadoes in minnesota this year with that kind of ridge setup it kind of shut everything down and then we have that same thing going on right now with this heat that's building is another ridge pattern that's going to be setting up so thunderstorms and severe weather themselves are going to be tough to uh develop we are 
kind of on the eastern half once again of this ridge pattern so we will keep an eye on what we refer to as short waves and a short wave is just a upper level low pressure system that could kick off some activity um, as we close out the week going into friday and saturday could see potential of some some severe thunderstorms but it all really is just kind of that weather pattern and we came off of year of el uh el nino um um and and usually when you get something like that uh you you have a better chance of seeing more active weather in the spring and in the summer and that just hasn't been the case so it, it really depends on how that weather pattern is setting up Okay, well, we can just hope for rain. And you actually have a shirt that says make it rain with clouds and, and demonstrates how it works. So let's just hope that really happens. And I want to go back to storm chasing again. Talk about, you know what, I've seen them on TV. My son watches them too. And they they rely so heavily on the radar and all their equipment. Back in the day, I imagine, before all this came about, I mean, how has it changed through the years in terms of weather chasing? I can't even imagine how you, I mean, I assume it's more safe now because you can predict better or? Well, yeah, now it's much safer with the fact that you, everyone has a a radar in their hand simply and you have that GPS location so you know exactly where you are based on where the storms are firing. Um, Back in the day, though, we always had professors up at UND give us a hard time. They're like, when I had a storm chase, I had to stop off at a pain payphone call (laughs) the national weather service and get surface observations of what's currently happening and then go where the best surface observations were and hope that storms fired so that's how they did it a lot right yeah so they they would always say like you guys have it so nice and you hope you had a dime or a quarter or whatever it was yeah so you can measure something yeah just it so it's changed i mean it's made it easier for people to get into storm chasing that way too um and that does like it does kind of per uh kind of cause for concern too just because you have more people out there um you want to make sure everybody knows what they're doing before they go out there too just with the safety i get nervous especially with people um out and about storm chasing because you never want to judge a tornado based off its size if it looks small it doesn't mean that it can't be significant okay so um, I just get nervous with the advancement because of the amount of people going out there without that training or without that kind of background of what's going on. Yeah, uh, It's always good. Like I, we've talked about before, is always a good idea to do Skywarn and maybe talk to some other storm chasers before you try to go at it alone. And there you do see, I mean, on, on the videos and things, they'll, they'll show pictures of other people out there who maybe don't know what they're doing and they'll make comments about, oh, I can't believe they're going right into it or whatever. And I assume that there's some sort of a competition, I feel, like when I watch those storm chasing things about the different teams, they'll say, oh, we're going to get this better shot than so-and-so. And that seems like it could make a, it a bit dangerous even by this competitive nature of some that we're going to get the right in the storm eye or something. Yeah, I mean, those guys, they had those vehicles. Uh, a lot of those guys had their, their professional meteorologist with them too, and they had those vehicles pretty well decked out for safety. I. I would love to be one of those personally, maybe to check it out, but I, w- I don't know if I would even drive into a tornado like they did. Yeah, but uh, there is there is some competitive nature in some of those those guys, especially in that show. But f- in all in all, they if for them they were doing it for a lot of it for like the research background too to get 
get some better understanding of why certain storms produce tornadoes and why others don't. Well, you mentioned to me before, we I think we got on the air about sometimes somebody will park with their lights on to make it look like the road is closed so somebody else can't go down there. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there are some storm chasers out there that are are not as safe and some of them will have a couple cars out on the roads and basically what they'll do is they'll have lights flashing, they'll turn and cut off the road so people cannot continue to drive down it so that the other vehicle can go and get the money shot is what they refer to it as the money shot and you know that's unethical that's unethical not safe too because you're blocking the roadway of emergency vehicles and people trying to escape a tornado so um, yeah there's there's some out there that aren't the safest uh, uh, so it's always a good idea to just remember to be safe. And so some of the things you see on the show might be a little extreme that you probably wouldn't want to try yourself. Yeah, you definitely do not want to try getting too close to a tornado if you especially don't know what's going on and don't know the size of that storm. I I remember I watched a YouTube video a couple years ago of a tornado in eastern uh, Wyoming and uh, it was they were getting close and they were they were in just a, a pickup truck and they said they were going to drive into it. Well, they never did drive into it, but that tornado came back with an EF3 rating. Oh, my that goodness. That would have tossed that pickup truck Yeah. and probably caused harm to the to the people inside. So it's, it's always a good idea to just hang back when you're observing a storm. Uh, you can, if, especially if you're out in the plains, southern Minnesota, getting southwestern Minnesota, especially where it gets flat, you can be miles away and still get a good shot of those a picture of those storms so where's your dream place to go storm chasing i mean in terms of if you're a meteorologist and you want to do this is there one place that's better than another um i mean my favorite places to chase are going to be across kansas western kansas southwestern kansas down into the oklahoma and texas panhandle just because it's flat there isn't a lot of people out there um and you can see for miles if if you even i parts of iowa if you go down to iowa you know how flat it gets and can be yeah being able to see for miles and knowing that there is more farmland than uh cities cities and things like that it's just perfect for storm chasing because you don't have to worry so much about devastation from the tornado itself Josh, you've been a wealth of information, and I'm sure there's, there's. I, I just got a note from another listener asking, could you please mention again which radar app you use on your phone? Thank you. Yeah, it's called Radar Scope. That's the one I use on my phone. Um, it's a, it's, it's, it's my, it's a little more advanced, so it's not going to give you any type of future outlook. Uh, it, it's going to give you each of the radars that are available across the nation. Um, you can get a subscription and have more, uh, kind of more stuff associated with it. Uh, if you do a subscription with it, it will also give you the ability to get some mesoscale discussions and you can read the mesoscale discussions that will tell you what's going on. They'll even have the watch boxes on there for you. Warnings and stuff like that will pop up. Um, and they even do special uh, weather reports if it's not like severe thunderstorm, but there is some concerns with it. Maybe it's producing some small hail or gusty winds that will be on there as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, one thing too I should mention if you're interested in uh, being a storm chaser, uh, the best website to go and read and kind of get some more information is go to the Storm Prediction Center. Oh, okay. Uh, just spc.gov. Uh, uh, that's a 
you can go in there, click around up there. They'll have uh, what they call their their uh, weather outlook. They'll have outlook for severe weather. You can read the descri- like what they're talking about for that day. I think they already have a marginal out for northern Minnesota on day three. You can always go read that stuff, read that information, kind of get an idea of, of how they forecast for severe weather. Great information, Josh. We are talking with Josh Eccles, who is a storm chaser and a meteorologist with KEYC-TV. So if people want to see you on the, the uh, news doing the weather, when can they watch? I know today's your day off, so I just Yeah, today yeah. is my Saturday, but um, I'll be back to, uh, tomorrow. Sorry, Friday. I thought tomorrow was Friday for some nope, reason. Friday. Wish it was Friday. But for, <laughs> um, Friday, I'll be back on the noon. I do the midday show. And then Saturday, I'm Saturday and Sunday, I'll be doing the 6, 9, and 10 on Saturday. And then Sunday, we just have the 9 and 10. All right. So now you know Josh. And if you have any questions, I'm sure Josh would be willing to answer them. And very knowledgeable and a very, very fun visiting with you, Josh. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I hope we can have you again someday. Yeah, let me know. It's wonderful being here, Karen. All right. Thank you. Yep. All right. Lots of fun with Josh here this morning. I've got to move along, though, in 